Hello and welcome to Win the Middle. We're about to dive into a conversation that may very well redefine the way you see your next decade. In every stage of life, we encounter changes, challenges and opportunities for growth. But when it comes to midlife, why does it always seem to come with a crisis? And more importantly, how can we make these middle years our best years? My name is Jeff and my co-host Greg and I have come together around a shared passion for personal growth, training and triathlon. Jeff is the Head of Employee Experience and Capability at Macquarie Bank. And Greg is the CEO and co-founder of Education Disruptor Creatable. We're here to pull the curtain back and reveal that midlife isn't an end or a crisis, but a thrilling new chapter, ripe with opportunities for transformation and discovery. So buckle up. It's time to welcome the experience, the wisdom, and the potential of your middle years. Let's win the middle. Well, Trevor, thanks for being with us today on Win the Middle. Um, the aim of our podcast is to help people make their middle years their best years. Mm. And we thought we may be able to cover some of the things that we know you're really passionate about, which include mindset and deep friendships and this notion of separating what I do from who I am. Yeah. Uh, but we wanted to start with heroes because in our episode seven, we spoke about our heroes and Greg mm-hmm. listed three people and, and they were Michael Jordan, Kelly yep. Slater and Trevor Handy. <laughs> <laughs> so six times. Trev, Trev, was, Trev was the OG hero. So I grew up doing Thank nippers you. as a kid and, <laughs> and I reckon you were, my, you were my first hero. Oh, thanks, bro. That's beautiful. No worries. So um, for, for maybe any of the, the younger listeners, six-time Australian Ironman Surf Lifesaving Champion, uh, member of the Australian Sports Hall of Fame, and now coach, and for particularly last but not least, for people who are in their middle years, a husband and father of four. Um, so it's a great honour for us to have you on the podcast, but it's, it's maybe also a good way for us to start, and that is to ask you, who have been your heroes over time and what was it about them that you looked up to? Great question, lads. Um, look, I have to start with my dad. Um, my father, I wanted to be like him. Um, he had his beautiful wife, my mum, Bev. Um, it was like a queen and he was just a, a giant of a man to me, a great pillar in the community and I just wanted to be like him. You know, I've spoken a lot about him. Recently, I just had a, a talk in Sydney yesterday with 350 people and I spoke about a song I've written, like a, at least words that I've written from sitting next to his bed while he goes through dementia, you know, and as the, the roles change, you know, I've gone from being a little one and him being the strong one to me being the strong, stable one and him going back through losing his normal faculties and being losing the personality but just this clarity of spirit as he just stares back at me with his big blue eyes you know so I have to say my dad first but um on from that it's so funny Greg because um I had uh Greg Norman and Ayrton Senna um right in there with 
uh, Michael Jordan and Kelly Slater. <laughs> that is so good. <laughs> Kelly's younger than me, and I felt connected to him from the moment he appeared. Um, and I read about him straight away. Um, I had a very strong connection with him, and I've since become great mates, and we're we're best mates, and we work together a lot. And I've been by his side through a lot of things and a lot of transitions in his life as well. And um, so it's funny to nominate him as like a hero, but it was like I saw the way he attacked the ocean and went about it, and I could feel my relationship with the ocean was very similar. And so it allowed me to kind of go, wow, I can see it happening in him while it's just happening for me, you know, so I could I could actually get to respect and appreciate it for him and see the levels he took it to and everything else. Um it's so that so those so it's funny that you you know that's awesome. Say, yeah, Kelly and, and Michael Jordan. And I became mates with Greg Norman. I met Ed and Center and spent time with him at the Grand Prix, um and Adelaide Grand Prix race and the celebrity race and um I actually stood behind Michael Jordan while he was laying thousand dollar bets in a casino in Las Vegas, and then <laughs> and then got moved on by his security. Um, so that's how well I met Michael Jordan. Um, and became I love that. Kelly Slater. But in modern times, um, I think there's been many people. I, I love the work that Andrew Huberman's doing around the world right now. Hmm. Um, I love the work that Dr. Mindy Peltz is doing in the world right now. Um, you know, they're both around neurology, um, neuroscience, but also fasting for Mindy Phelps. And, um, but I have to say my, probably the, I don't know whether I'd say it's a hero, but more like, um, my happy place when I listen to him is Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart Tolle wrote The Power of Now. I, I love the story about, they asked Oprah Winfrey when she won International Woman of the Year or whatever. I think the question was something along the lines if we all had to leave the planet right now and you got to choose the one book that we took with us what would it be and she said the power of now by Eckhart Tolle you know so um I I'm not religious at all but when I um when I tap into what Eckhart is working on power of now and you know consciousness from a place of no mind from just knowing yourself as source or one with life energy and one with source energy um, which is the, a lot of the work that I've done for years. I feel that, and when I start in that place, then I feel things like the Christ consciousness and the unity consciousness and really beautiful, powerful, amazing, non-personality things that blow my mind, literally, mm. um, and make me feel more like who I really am, which is just kind of like I felt when I was a kid. I felt one with nature. I felt one with mm. trees. As an adult, I managed to feel one with the ocean at momentary times of flying across the surface of the water. And um, and I think that's why a lot of people saw something in me and went, I like that guy, like Greg, I like that yeah. guy, you know. I like that I guy. Something. I wasn't better than the next guy, but I was probably more tapped in for whatever reason than mm. the next guy. I was lucky enough to be, to be able to tap in and open myself up and stuff. So they've been my heroes and that leads me to, to the ultimate one, which is the ocean. You know, um, the ocean and life itself is really kind of the thing that I, I derive most of my inspiration from these mm. days. And, and fellow human beings, I, I get blown away by people. I just toured through Europe to take my mum back to her heritage in Scotland and stuff like that. And and um, I just saw people and I was like, oh, my God, we're all the same. <laughs> you know? yeah. I saw people that I couldn't even tell what language they were speaking 
and I could tell they were having the same argument with their kids that I've had with mine. <laughs> you know, it's, and they're having the same stresses and tensions and everything else. So uh, it's those heroes have evolved through to a place of kind of this more recognition of humanity and oneness and life and in all of us. So yeah, anyone that's doing something good in a moment, I find inspired by. It's a good. Um... Really good segue, Trevor. You spoke about the ocean a few times there, one when you were talking about Kelly, but but also then when you were talking about uh, your heroes. I've heard you talk about the ocean as a teacher and as a friend. Um, mm. What have you learned from the ocean that can help guys like us make our middle years our best years? Wow, what a beautiful question. I um, I get emotional when I talk about it. You know, I'm more happy and comfortable in my emotions as I've got older, which is the middle years. <laughs> um, but what I what I can say is the first thing I think of is love. Um, I always used to say before I understood it all what it meant. I used to say the ocean is emotion. You know, and it's like the the land is is the rules and the structure. You know walk this way, do this. The land seems so robotic to me, you know, so structured and so gravity is at full effect in the land. You know, you're like, you're on the ground and the soft sand feels really soft in your feet as you're making the transition from the land to the ocean. You're going through the sand and the weight goes down through the sand and if you have to walk uphill, it's hard. And um, Life on land I always found to be full of things I didn't understand, relationships and struggles and things that I couldn't even see. Why, why is that person being like that? And why, why, why does that person like me? You know, uh, why are we in a battle? I, I could never understand as a young person why a lot of things are happening on the land. So the land seemed to be dominant with personalities. And, of course, personalities are dominated by history and anguish and I'm never going to be beaten. I'll never let someone make me feel like that again. So... All of our baggage is everything is on the land, you know, and the way we treat each other on the land. And I'd cross into the ocean and she was, I call her she, but she was like, um, she treated me the same every way, every time I turned up, even though she had a different personality every time I turned up. <laughs> she had different waves and different weight, you know, wind and different um, currents and different levels of magic or different levels of horror. Like, ah, how am I going to deal with that wave, you know? Um, but somehow I always felt treated the same, you know, like it was like an even playing field, even though it was like such a varied playing field. So I suppose the moment I stepped off the land into the ocean, the very first thing I dived, did was dive in. And when you dive in, you go from standing upright to head first, feet back, and you're propelling forward in this streamlined motion of it's all rushing over here rather than coming through here. And that's the very first thing that I found in the ocean was that you're looking down at the bottom um, and there's something about that. There's something about the immersion of it fully. You know, you're not facing it like a warrior. You know, you're actually like immersed in it and you're laying in it and on it and through it and stuff. So the water, salt water is quite buoyant and it picks you up and it wraps around every single crevice in your body and under every single thing. And um, so you have to put your feet off the bottom. Um, but at the same time, she lifts you up. She holds you up. If you take one good breath in the ocean you'll and just hold that breath, you'll float on the surface. You don't even have to swim in the ocean to survive. Just take a breath because enough of oxygen and the flotation of salt water 
is enough to float you. So I kind of found that the ocean taught me that um, one good breath is enough rather hmm. than battle and fight and struggle and everything else. And, and um, I suppose um, that you have to streamline. So you can't fight it. You have to tuck in and push through it. And you can't face the wave straight on. You've got to go over it or under it or around it. Um, that's certainly on the way out. And, in fact, it's better to not go towards the, the challenges and the swells. It's better to go over to the side where it's all flowing back out to sea, which we call the rip, which is where you're supposed to drown. You know, But actually, no, if you're going with it, it's the fastest way to go back out. You can actually sit and have a conversation with your mates. And by the time you've caught up on how, how the last week's been, you're out the back. Yeah. Um, so this strange, unpredictable thing is actually quite predictable and there's rhythms inside of it and it floats you back around and then get projected back into the wave areas and get pushed back in. That's without doing anything. But if you, if you put a bit of effort into going out through the rip and back across and back in, you can cover a lot of distance in a very short time. So the ocean taught me about not fighting. It taught me about flowing. It taught me about letting go of who I think I am not thinking I'm in a battle with the next guy because while I'm trying to battle him, I'm going to get cleaned up by the ocean and I'm not paying attention to. So it taught me to follow the bigger currents in life and not sweat small stuff. Wow. To find where the water's moving and go with it. If I want to go out, find where it's going out. If I want to come in, find where it's coming in. Um, and because I learnt that through the ocean, eventually I learnt that in relationships and life and conversations. And I've found I've been able to let go of my need to impose myself or prove myself or do whatever it is. And so what's left when you're not doing that anymore is love. You know, so she taught me love. She taught me to let go. And when you've got no fight left in you, but just flow left, you get appreciation and grace and love. And um, so she's a powerful force and she's, I can see her from here. <laughs> and she's, um, I live, of course, I'd live close enough to be able to see her. So I could say, hello, <laughs> You know, and I've said to Joe, my wife, you know, I've said, oh, the one consistent relationship I've had since I was a young boy that's always been there because I've been married and divorced and, and married and in a beautiful second marriage, which has been amazing. But the one consistent has always been the ocean um, and what she reflects back. And it's like she's not, she's neutral, even though she thumps you sometimes. And just one really quick story, I was like, um, I was I was toe surfing with my mates and they're all Ironman, like Kai Hurst and Phil Clayton and Nate Meyer and stuff. And we're toe surfing up at South Stratty before everybody knew really about this break. And we had our rubber duckies, our IRBs, and, and we surfed on this massive big day. And the next day we turned up and it was super clean. And it was just dropped to about 12 foot, like 20 foot faces, 25 foot faces, and just super clean and barrels and big hooking, perfect blue sections. And... I've got towed onto this wave and I've always said there's a fine line between confident and cocky and when you're really flying, you feel confident, like you feel like you're one with the ocean and I, like the boys in, were in one duck, I've got a couple of others, ne Nev Hyman as well, he's in another duck and I'm going towards these guys and I'm doing this bottom turn and I'm feeling really confident and as I've come up, I've done this big sort of arcing turn on the top and I'm feeling confident. And then as I went back down, I saw the boys and I switched from confident to cocky, you know, and I came off the bottom like a hero, <laughs> you know, like, like, oh, watch this, boys. And I came up and I laid over this big turn right under the lip 
And I'm like, yeah. And I just grabbed a rail, got cartwheeled over the lip, got absolutely obliterated. As I went over, I was like, yeah. And as I went over the falls, I went, oh, no. <laughs> and this thing's an open ocean beast, you know. And it just destroyed me. And I'm going around two waves. I've been held down. I'm going second wave. I'm getting pummeled. And all of a sudden I went, ah, oh, you idiot. You went from confident to cocky. You went with a, from a partnership with the ocean to pretending you're dominating the ocean. You know, and it was like an instant karma, like it instantly just destroyed me. <laughs> and, I, and I'm rolling around thinking, I'm not enough. Like this is not letting me out. And as soon as I went, oh, my God, you went cocky. Oh, I'm so sorry. I kind of apologize to the ocean. I'm getting cartwheeled and ragged all around. I went, I'm so sorry. Yep, no, fair enough. I could feel the violence. And then it was like she just put a hand under me and lifted me to the surface. You know, it was like, you got the lesson. You can come to the surface now. And I came to the surface. And my mates were all buzzing around the boats looking for me. And they and I'm like, and they went, oh, my God, like, what was that like? And I just didn't say anything. I was like, uh Guys, I'm just licking my wounds at the moment. <laughs> but um, so she's been my best mate, and um, but she's also whacked me when I've needed to, and that's wow. been plenty of time. Yeah, right. beautiful. That's well, what I've learned. Ocean. Beautiful. Well, I mean, uh, another lesson and story that you tell about the ocean and your competitive past is the the story of the conditions always being perfect. Yeah, yeah. And we use that in our squad now and at races depending on what whatever the the wind's doing and the water's doing and and whatever else the conditions are perfect for us today because that allows us to perfect our craft yeah um and that's really about having a growth mindset but what does the conditions are always perfect look like for you today post ironman yeah which comes back to the middle right the middle middle of life doesn't it what do you do when your personality is no longer attached to being the one and being the proving and, you know, all that testosterone-based male stuff that we do, we're going to stand out from the crowd, which is all just to feel safe, by the way. Like, to feeling or appearing dominant is just so I feel safe, you know. That was what I discovered in myself is I felt unsafe most of my life and and so felt sort of bullied and, and confused by life. And if I, if I can win, then the pressure goes off me, the attention goes on someone else, you know. So... So it was really a struggle. The front cover was domination and the back cover was the front cover was the projection, which is not the truth, was that I was dominating. The back cover was um, that I felt hopeless and powerless and um, small, you know. So I, I was hiding that by pretending to be that, but the truth is somewhere in the middle. And so when I've come to middle age, I'm 55 now, and I've sort of grown through middle age and into a real maturity, I suppose. Um, I'm still a kid, but... Um, is that the conditions always been perfect has meant that um, the the wounds or the things that I've had later life, like the, the way I've been knocked around by life and challenged by life and financial insecurities and um, social insecurities from big positions that I've taken on and then gone, whoa, hang on, I've taken on a whole big thing here and how do I work my way through this? And um, I remember trying to lead a, a, a cultural change, which is work that I do for a lot of organisations. And I, this organisation was much closer to home. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, hey, I'll put my hand up. And I'm trying to lead a cultural change. And then it's funny how um, 
when you say, let's go towards this magical new, new moment or new thing, everybody who's benefiting from it, people can be saying we want it to change. But as soon as you start changing it, everyone who's actually quietly, secretly benefiting from it being a, a diminished culture, like they're winning from it, their personnel, they get to be the dominant one or whatever, um, they all of a sudden see you as the enemy because you're taking away their the pig pen that they're feeding from or whatever it is, you know, the, the trough that they're drinking from. And, and so I've had moments in the last 10, you know, 12 years where I, I thought I was full of new wisdom and then I took it out into the world, like, let's go do this, make this change. And and then I've all of a sudden been in the firing line, you know, and um, I've had to remind myself the conditions are perfect, you know. But what are they perfect for? Well, I decided I wanted to be my full self. I decided I wanted to be able to be free. I decided I wanted to be able to um, express myself fully wherever I go in the world. I want to stand for love and connection and unity and truth and, and the, the true power inside of people. And so for me to actually stand for that, well, I've got to actually stand there um, with my heart open while people are shooting at me, you know. So one day I remember facing up to this meeting and everyone's just going, da 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 and I just stood there loving them, you know, just going, ah, oh, okay, I see you. I see where you're stuck, but I see you. I'm going to focus on you. And after they attacked me for a little while, I'd say, thank you for the feedback, you know. We'll take that on board. Thanks for caring, you know, and they'd be like, well, aren't you going to like fight back, you know? But no, nah, thanks. I, I get that point. Look, we're working towards that. We might have covered that, blah, blah, blah. And I'd watch these things just diminish and drop away. And after the meeting, these people would come up to me and say, how did you just do that? Like, that was like this moment of mastery of dealing with these people gunning for you. It's like you're on the cross going to be crucified for what you're trying to do. And I went, I don't know how I did it because... I did it from the unknown. I stood there and went, well, my mission is to love people. So love people even when they're attacking me is the hardest thing you can do. So the conditions are perfect, you know, to to do that. And, and you know, you know some people listening may be aware that during the whole COVID, you know, crisis and everything that happened, I spent 20 years being guided by people that were magicians with health. You know, I had amazing people around me that helped me resolve glandular fevers and pneumonias and incredible things. And and I just trusted them because they did incredible things for me, you know. And then when this all happened and we said, well, you need these medical interventions to fix it and you've got to be scared of this thing you can't even see and your body's not strong enough and your immune system will never be able to handle it and da -da -da, we're all in supreme danger. I was like, well, firstly, the person with the developed side of myself was like, this is not feeling right to me, you know. And then I'm looking over just for validation at the people that I've respected all around the world and they're going, this is not right. This is not the truth of what we've discovered, you know, the magic of the human body and everything else. And so I just defended people for having their own viewpoint. I didn't say you should or shouldn't take anything. I just stood up and said, hey, guys, I think you should attack, stop attacking people that want to stand up for their own health or want to try something different. I ended up on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald, you know, with a headline, you know, Kelly Slater and his mates go on bizarre anti-vax rant. You know, it was like, that's not what we did at all. And I had to sit back and remind myself, the conditions are perfect, you know, but what are they perfect for? I decided to speak up about a truth of power of human beings. What are they perfect for? Well, it's good to speak about power, but I also have to love people for their viewpoints and 
you know, to say to people, well, perhaps you and I are just exposed to different science. There is only one science. Well, that's not how science works, you know. Um, and so I had to eat humble pie. And you know what happened, guys, is that in that moment, I, when, I, when they went after kids, I stopped the old warrior come back up in me. You know, I talked about the man that stands up and then I learned to be flowing. I felt the old warrior come up in me and I, and I wanted to defend and protect them all. And that's cool and can be helpful, but I also lost myself in that process because I need to love people through the process, not fight them through it. And I saw everyone fighting everybody and went, how am I going to make a difference if I'm fighting with everybody else? And I had to bring the love back in. And I had to remind myself the conditions are perfect because if you want to be unconditional, dude, you know, then this attack you're getting, can you love the guy that wrote that about you that's never ever met you, that doesn't even know what you're actually talking about, you know? And I, I had to understand that and forgive it. So I think for, for most people, those extremities are what I've learned through in the last five, ten years. But mm. I think for most people in middle age, we learn to stop being, you know, um, so uh, this is who I am and this is the way it is. And we learn to go, you know what, life is actually teaching me to soften around the edges or opening me back up. And, and people always say that their parents don't regret all the work that they missed in, on their deathbed, that they start talking about that I should have spent more time with you or we should have gone away together and we soften at the end. The cycle goes from soft to hard, soft, you know, <laughs> to hard to soft. And, and I've watched it on my dad. Mm. So I, um, conditions are perfect. Um, you just got to work out what they're for. And if you something's killing you right now and breaking you down, it could be the best breakdown you ever had. And, and if you can embrace it, it turns into a breakthrough. So mm. that's what I've learned. So good. Hey, um, this question might be a tough one to answer, but I think it's a really important one, Trevor, and that is what or who have you had to let go of in order to become the person you are today? Mm. Had to let go of being right. Had to let go of the need to win. And they go pretty well together, those two things, the need to win and be right, because you can win a conversation or you can win a race, win an argument or win a race or... You can win a race to then make yourself feel better than the person you're arguing with, say, I must be right because I won. You know, my first wife used to be trying to tell me that there were things wrong and I'd be saying, well, I wouldn't be saying it with my, any way physically, but emotionally I'd be saying, well, look at the trophy cabinet. How can I be wrong? Look at me. I'm a winner. I'm on the front page of this hat. You know, so I used for quite a while my success to actually push away anybody who challenged me. Wow. And so I had to let go of that um, guy that was always right. That it was actually wrong. I was actually wrong, you know. Um, I was actually wrong. I was really wrong, you know, about a lot of things. And um, so I think that's the first thing. And the need, I had to let go of the need to prove myself, the need to win, um, the need to have power, um, need to be respected. Um, so there's probably more traits within myself I've had to let go of to be... I wouldn't even say the person I am now, but I'd say um, closer to my full self, my whole self, you know, my, my resolved self. Um, and you know what's crazy, boys, is that I'm 55 and I've, for 25 years, 30, probably 30 years, I've been letting go of the need to win. <laughs> oh, over and over again, over and through all those different situations that I just spoke about, escalated to different levels. Be right and win. Um, and I still find it inside of myself every now and then. 
but it's connected to the need to have power, um, which is really the need to be invulnerable, to not be transparent, um, to hide away things that I'm ashamed of or embarrassed of or that I don't want people to see. So, I, and, and you, know, you think you don't want them to see them because you're embarrassed, but you don't want them to see them so you can still get away with them. You know, so aspects of the personality that are on the tape that are that are not as pure as they might come across as. You know, so um, I'm happy to say I don't have much of that going on anymore. You know, <laughs> but but it's amazing how many times it's still there in subtle ways. So yeah, I've had to let go of that and that the, the thought of who I am, needing to be respected. Um, you know, all that sort of stuff. So um, need to be taken seriously. That was a big one. Um, you know, like laugh, laugh at me, laugh with me, whatever, you know. But <laughs> but um, I just I just find as I've learned to go more of those things, I just find that we're all more the same than we are different. Mm. We're all more um, at the real base level personality. We're more loving and caring and flexible and, you know, resilient um, than we are. We are special and unique. We've each got special and unique flavors, but the special and unique thing that maybe the way we um, dress or the shoes that we wear or the car we drive or the way I, I don't know, the way I wear my hat or the sunnies I wear or the, the way I come across or the way I use language or whatever is my attempt to be special and unique. But that's not the stuff that's really, really cool. It might be an expression somewhat of who, of who I am or who we are, but I think it's Beyond that, like people have these really unique flavors of of sensitivity and creativity and um, uh, just uniqueness. They're just really people are really fascinating when you get behind all of the stuff that we do to make ourselves look different and um, to look, you know. So when we get down to where we're more the same as each other, we start to see the more subtle uniqueness, and and that's what I love discovering because I just find people are absolute gifts you know mm. so yeah i've had to let go of all the bullshit that would make me feel oh and definitely feel superior and above and mm. because once again right let go of the titles and the trophies and the, the shit like that it's good yeah i had a funny thing where i've been had lots of awards and accolades along the way like you get into halls of fames and you get queen's honors and all these bizarre things that people heap on you you know and you can, I can feel the part of me that goes, yeah, I did, or yeah, I am, you know, like, yeah, I've got letters after my name now, or, you know, like, because I was a kid that didn't have any qualifications. Well, now I've got letters that the Queen gave me or something like that, you know. And But it's just all bullshit, you know. <laughs> and, and the amount of people that send me and they, the emails and their letters are after their name and everything, and I understand, it's okay. But I go, whoa. And it's just sometimes just drifts through, but sometimes it's like in block letters, you know, like, just, I'm special, which really means they're feeling insecure, you know. I know because I've come from there. The front cover is I'm special and the back cover is I'm, I'm nothing, I'm nobody. So um, did you, have I, you know, that guy, that, that thing that Tucker Carlson, um, who was probably the most watched public figure in US television, he was on Fox and his show outrated every other show by 10 times. And he wasn't really caught on the Democrat or Republican side. He was just calling out shit left, right and centre, you know. He's, he's, he's more right-leaning for sure, but he was definitely more centrist. And he he was he actually got kicked off of Fox because he just started telling too many truths and he started questioning certain wars that are on at the moment, you know, which you're not allowed to question. And and he got kicked off Fox. And and he, so Elon Musk picked him up and said, come on to X, onto Twitter, and just run your show through that. 
and he's got, I think it's something like 20 times the amount of following in his show than the news does and through Twitter. Anyway, he went and interviewed Mike Tyson, and I'm paraphrasing, but he tells a story how he interviewed Mike Tyson, and he said, people told him to, and he's like, Mike Tyson, I'm a serious figure, why would I interview Mike Tyson, you know, and he, he goes and interviews Mike Tyson, and he says he's an incredibly sincere man that's been through, done all the plant medicines, and he's been through the death of the ego, and Mike Tyson's just so thoughtful in his later age, and he says to Mike Tyson, he goes, you, you come across so level and so beautiful and so calm, and and, um, and I'm paraphrasing and messing it up a bit. And he says, but you must go out in public sometime and some person wants to have a go at you or, you know, you're, the, you're, the, you're Mike Tyson. They must want to be really mean to you or, you know, try and fire you up or whatever. And how do you handle that? And he says, well, you know, and he's got a bit of a list, Mike, but he says um, just something along the lines of, you know, I, when I think I'm somebody, it really offends me. And I take it personally and it fires me up. But then when I remember I'm nobody, it's not a problem and I can let it go. You know, and I just think that's so beautiful because this is this a guy that we all probably just went, wow, the most ruthful, ruthless, lethal guy on the planet, certainly when I was growing up. I was like, wow, my Tyson, I just want to watch every highlights of every fight. You know, you want to see a guy just pummel somebody, you know, and he's just this most incredible figure. And here he is saying, when I remember I'm nobody, doesn't affect me you know and and i just think that's we're not not everybody's there at that point because we're still going to go through the circle but i think when that circle gets back to that place where you go i'm not really anybody i'm just living life like everybody else and doing my best i think it's a really powerful thing Mm. that reminds me of a question that greg asked me a couple of episodes ago which i couldn't answer on the spot and i took it away as homework but but greg asked me um, he said, you know, there's this saying that uh, if who I am is what I do, who am I when I'm not doing it? Yeah. And um, I, I went away and I pictured myself stripped of any rank, title, mandate, um, yeah. maybe introducing myself to someone and I can't list any of the roles I play in life or hobbies or anything like that. Who am I? Um and it was really good process for me to go through because I centered back on, well, I am present, kind, and playful. Wow. And that, when I thought of myself as, as that, like I, I was like, I like that guy. Yeah. Um, and you're, and JD, Jeff, you're very heartfelt too. Like you've got a lot of heart just sitting in you. Even when you say that, I feel the heart in the way you say it, you know, the playful with that exploration of who I am without that has a lot of heart in it I think that's the thing is we all that's who we all really are you know but that's the stuff we've hidden away from each other you know while we're playing these other roles and trying to become a somebody you know (laughs) that's that uniqueness that I was talking about that playful kind you know that that's who you are um and everybody has slightly different traits of it it's people some people make the room laugh and light up some people just make people feel safe some people just make people feel strong. You know, some people make people feel like as if they can just let go. You know, it's like the essence of us is all a little bit different. And I, I've, I've learned that lately and I love that question the way that, Craig, you framed it because I think when I think about it like that, it's I've, I've, I've thought about myself recently because a few people have come up to me and it's almost like what I needed to hear. And they've said, oh, I just want to thank you for this. 
you know. And it's things like for making me feel really safe the way you spoke about this subject. And I'm like, oh, it wasn't the words, it was the way I spoke about it, you know. Um, and I'm like, oh. And then some people said a few different things around. It all happened over about a week and all of a sudden went, oh, it's like I, I say it, there's a body, mind and spirit. And the body's so easy to see that we're all separate because we all are, three of us, you know. And the people listening, they're in their own body. And then the mind's here. It's a bit harder to define. It's going, right, 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 right. Good, bad, right. And, oh, I can relate to this. And when the mind, sometimes through these conversations, people will listen and they'll feel their mind opening up and they'll feel some other energy flowing. They'll go, I feel, I like this conversation. This is cool. I feel more comfortable and relaxed about this. I don't have to be a somebody while they're listening to it. And as the mind opens up, it leaves space for the pure essence of who we are. We call it the beingness, the presence, the spirit, the soul, you know, the love, the, the life behind the personality, whatever you want to call it. And I, I just all of a sudden started to have that experience. Like I went, oh, I'm getting to feel who I am as a soul, you know, like who I am as an essence, as a, as a person. The, the less I've perpetuated the personality or, you know, the manly figure, I've, I've started to go, oh, actually starting to know myself more as a, as a being, whatever that mm. means. If that sounds really weird, it's just whatever it means, it's more the being than the human being. It's like, it's, um, I don't know. And I know for myself, I can explain what I, 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 I love. I feel love. That's what I feel around me a lot. In my essence, I feel love. I feel life in me a lot. I want to promote life. And I feel connection. And I feel unity in me a lot, you know. And on the outside edges of that, I've got play and adventure and humor and, um, you know, uh, forgiveness and understanding. I want to make people feel like they've completely, if they've screwed up, I want to make them feel like it's the funniest thing they've ever done so that they can actually <laughs> way out of it, you know, and then go, oh, my God, that was the best thing that ever happened because I, that was a screw-up I needed, you know, because that's what I needed and that's what people gave me because I to, to be divorced at a relatively young age and to feel like I'm leaving kids behind, I had deep shame and guilt for a long time. Hmm. It's not really there now because it's, it's the perspective has allowed me to grow into being the best father and partner and even ex-partner I can be. Um, but I needed people around me to go, it's okay, mate, you're not the bottom of the barrel and the bottom of the earth and the worst person on the planet for crossing over your own ethics and integrity and making a mistake when you felt full of this juice that you were chasing around, you know. So mm. I needed someone to sit with me while I forgave myself, you know. So mm. I've always wanted to pay that forward and I know that's sitting in my my spirit or my soul as well because I want people to know you're, you're not your not only you're not not you're not what you do you're also not your mistake mm. yeah. yeah something that uh, so if, if I can make a confession at this point Trevor mm. um, I revved Greg up by saying that Phil Clayton was one of my heroes because <laughs> when I used to watch this series I um, I, what, I, what I liked about Phil was just um, he was very elegant in the water and, and yeah. he had a different manner about him. Yeah. And um, I, I think the funny thing is, I don't, this sounds weird, I feel funny saying it, but I like the older version of Trevor Hendy more than the, the dominant yeah. version of Trevor Hendy. It's almost like the real version of Trevor Hendy is so yeah. um, likeable. Uh, um, and I don't know, I don't know what's Thanks, in that, Jeff. but, um, Thanks. 
in <laughs> um, um, I've, I've, I don't know Phil Clayton, by the way. He might he just present really well on TV. But um, <laughs> um, well, can I tell can I tell you really quickly that Phil Clayton and I were best mates, and when he first came in the series at the end of the first series, um, we went to Portsea together. And we're in the same bus and we walked out and we stepped out and to look over and there's massive waves breaking. So we knew the next day it was going to be big waves or the day after the next day. And I turned to him and looked at him. It was like the old bull and the young bull, you know. And I said to him, you want to know how to win at Portsea? And he goes, yes, yes, like his first year in the series, you know. And he loves me telling his story. And I go, he goes, yes, 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 yes. And I said, get back in the bus. We're going to the pub, you know. And literally we went straight back to the Portsy pub, ordered two beers and sat there and actually talked about life and started actually being light and fun and everything else. And it ended up being this really messy night. <laughs> you know, we didn't plan out to be that. But in that moment, he did as much for me as I did for him because we both I taught him on the on the reverse end of Ironman on the on the end I never won another series at that stage. And I, I taught him to not take it so seriously, that that's what I'd learned the whole time. And he taught me um, to, well, to the same thing. He taught me to not take it so seriously as well because who he really was is this fun, bubbly young kid. When everyone got serious, you would see him when he was racing around. He'd be laughing, going, ah, smiling, and woo, to this camera and everything else. It was because he's always, he always had in the back of his mind, it's not the biggest picture. You know, he had a year off and travelled around the world and then came back and won more races, you know. Um, and so I ended up coaching him. But the funny thing was we had this big night out and everybody was like, oh, look at those two. They're just trashed. Well, at the race on the Sunday, we came first and second. And we led the whole way around together. And it came down to one last moment where I nearly pulled over this board wave to join him and it would have been a, a run up the beach together. And my nose is over and he, he says to me still to now, he says, you didn't want to get over that way, did you? You wanted me to, to win. I'm like, oh, you know, I think I was 50-50, you know. <laughs> Deeper down, I did want you to win. And there's part of me still going, I want to get over it, you know. The older me probably would have got over it. but um, And we got first and second so far in front of the rest of the field. We were in front from the first leg the whole way through this long race. And and so he he moved me out of the sport, recognising that, that life wasn't so serious and it wasn't about who we'd become in the sport. And I hope, hopefully, helped him into the sport, realizing the same thing, so he could start where I left off. In other words, and we're best mates. We see each other all the time. And Nathan Meyer, who was also one of our best mates, Nathan and I go fishing three or four times a week, you know, together. Um, and there's there's a, there's this there's sometimes, particularly with Clado, he feels like a brother to me, a younger brother, not unlike my relationship with Kelly, um, and and different. Like there's. I'm the older brother, Kelly's the middle brother, and Clayton's the young brother somehow, you know. But I sometimes I feel like I'm one spirit with him. You know, we had crazy moments. And that surfing example I had, I was out with him. And, you know, it's um, – so I like that too, that you can learn something and hopefully if you're open-hearted enough, you can pass it on to the next person and they can take it from where you left it. Rather than desperately not wanting to beat them to beat your records, I want – those records to be wiped by the next generation to go, we did it way better. You know, and I'm stoked to have been involved with Shannon Stein right through when he broke all of my records and then Ali Day's breaking all of our records. You know, and um, and they're all completely different personalities, completely different humans, you know. 
Um, yeah. Amazing spirits. It's the attitude of abundance, which is great. And um, yeah. to go back to that Heroes episode, we shared a Matthew McConaughey clip, which you might be familiar with, where um, he gets asked, who's your hero? And he says, it's me in 10 years' time. Yes, yes. Um, so what do, you, what do you think Trevor in 10 years' time might look like and, and what advice would Trevor in 10 years' time give current day, Trevor? Yeah, great question. Um, and I think um, what first come to mind is not what I look like but what I feel like. Um, I think most people will get the feeling from me rather than the look um, because I'll probably look much similar to what I am right now. <laughs> but um, And I know that's what you meant anyway, but... Um, but I think uh, I'm softening as each day goes on. I think I'm grounding myself as each day goes on. Um, you know, I'm sitting with my father as he goes through this transition out of life and I feel so honoured and humbled. that My dad literally looked at me the other day and I said, who am I? He's, you know, full-blown dementia after eight or nine years, but very healthy and happy. No mood swings, just lost you know, the faculties, and he looked at me, and about three weeks before that, a few times he said, you're my dad, and and I went, okay, I'm happy to be your dad for a moment, and then after a while, I go, oh, you're my son, you know, but dad, because he feels like he's losing his personality and his, his identity, Let's, he's losing his identity, and he's sort of fading back into spirit, you know. And I've been through so much grief and process about this. So when I talk freely about it, it's because I've done a lot of crying, you know, and a lot of letting go of my hero. Um, but the, then I came back from Europe and I came back and I felt even more soft after this trip with my mother to her heritage and discover where she was from. And I said, and they couldn't get back from Europe yet. And I was with my dad on my own. And I said, actually with Joe. And I said, who am I? And he went and he was, looked, he was so soft on the, his head on the pillow. And he said, you're my daddy. And it was like he got even younger from you're my dad to you're my daddy, like what you would say when you're really young. And Joe and I just burst into tears. And it was just nothing but love. And he looked at me like like with his eyes big and blue and wide open. And, and um, I realised that every day that I let go of this need to be someone, <clears throat> I'm more able to be the someone that someone else might need. Wow. You know, to be present. Um so it's so funny because it's back to front. The more less you need to be someone, the more you can be someone for someone, you know, wow. and in a moment. And so I think what um, the 10-year future me would say is, I love you, buddy. You're right on track, you know. <laughs> keep coming. He'd go, keep coming, keep coming, <laughs> keep coming. You know, like just keep going. You'd be saying that to me right now. You, you're, on, you're on the right track. And, and also don't. Don't uh, stop enjoying the journey. Let it be just an absolute ride. I've had this sense a few times that I know how it finishes. What I mean, not not how my life finishes, but how this process that I came to be a part of in this world finishes. And it feels like people really awakening and remembering who they really are. So I have this real sense of excitement that we make it, that we wake up. We do all wake up and we do find each other and we do discover the magic in each other and, and we do see the light so to speak, um, and see the truth, that we're all here to actually learn who we really are. And Eckhart Tolle, who's my hero, as I said, he says that our primary purpose in this lifetime is to know ourselves as source, you know, and that's not some sort of thing that we put in our food, 
that, not that type of source, you know, source <laughs> energy, like um, the life force behind everything to know ourselves as the same stillness that sits in the wind or the trees and sits in the newborn baby and sits in your mate occasionally when you just shared a vulnerability and just look at your mate and go, shit, mate, I love you. You know what sits back inside of him? Um, but to know ourselves as that energy and our secondary purpose, I love the way he puts it, is to then do something with that realisation that you are one with everything, is to do something with it. And just remember, whenever you lost your way, it's because you've forgotten your primary purpose and to let go of what you're doing, who you think you are, and know yourself as, as part of everything again. And um, I think we're in a, in a part of lifetime where we'll learn that in the Western world and we don't have to sit in a cave in the mountains, you know, being fed once every two weeks, you know, in an ice, covered in ice sheets or, I don't know, in wear robes to discover that I think those people held that frequency for us for a long time but I think humanity's going through this big global awakening and we've got to have more shit and we're going to more want to change it before we discover it in ourselves but eventually we won't see our neighbours anything other than another aspect of ourselves and someone we can see and say I love working with you and you bring the best out of me and all that sort of stuff mm. It's beautiful Hey, Trev, um, I just want to thank you so much for giving us some of your time today to have a chat. It's been such a joy and a privilege just to listen to you talk. Uh, from a, from a, it's obvious that you're living a real meaning-rich life at the moment um, and really embodying what it means to make our middle years our best years, no matter what sort of life throws at us. Um, the best is yet you, to come. The best, yeah. yeah. If you could sum this, this is almost just helping me with a title for this episode, but if you could sum this conversation up uh, with one word, what word would you choose? Oh, look, the first word that came to mind, which is a, a dicky word to use, but the first one I throw out there is truth. <clears throat> you know, the truth is that we're all magic. The truth is that we are far, there's far more to us than we realise. I just sent... Um, you know, Nelson Mandela's inauguration speech, I don't know if you guys have ever heard it, um, it's when he, you know, got out of jail after 20, 17 years or 23 or 27 years or whatever it was and he and he became the president of South Africa and he wrote a speech, I think it was Marianne Williamson that he wrote it, it was an excerpt part of his speech and I, if you want to, I'll, it's really quick, I'll read it to you really fast if you want. Yeah, please. that's beautiful. This is this man that had learned to love and, and they were beating him up in jail. You know, his captors were beating him up in jail and then eventually they just couldn't. They just said, we can't. We just love this guy. We want him to be free. They, No matter what they were told to do, they would get, they'd sneak him things and everything else and he forgave the people that were stomping on his head and stuff like that, you know, and he came out and was one of the most profound figures in the world. And obviously coming out of the black into the white and all the apartheid and all that sort of stuff that he, he went through. It's one of the most horrific things to come through on this planet as far as separation and segregation goes. But this is his speech. Um, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us most. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God, which can plug some people in, but you're a child of God or a child of spirit. Your playing small doesn't say it serve the world. 
There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us or the glory of spirit. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we consciously give other, permission, other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. 1994, he said that. Um, so I just... I think it's about the light, the truth, who we really are. It's about forgiveness. It's about understanding. It's about um, letting go, perhaps, you know, um, letting go to, so you can know who you really are. Um, and it's found in the moments when we're no longer perpetuating or projecting what we thought we needed to. When we let go of that, something magic happens and people have beautiful, amazing conversations and our eyes open up and we see each other and, Brilliance happens, and we can solve any friggin' problem, by the way, and heal anything, and release anything, and forgive anybody, and it's it's um, pretty simple, isn't it, really? It's just let go of this shit we're holding on to that created. I love Einstein's quote, you cannot solve, solve a problem on the same level of mind it was created. Mm. So stop doing what we're doing. <laughs> you know, just go do more of this and we'll get through. Maybe stop doing some of this and we'll get through. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it more by trusting that there's something special that comes out of us when we stop trying to be the ones that save the day or be the special ones. So that's how I'd summarize it. So good. I don't know What's if there's a word in there somewhere, boys. But No, nah, it's good. Truth is a good word. I'm going to go yeah, with that. This episode's going to be called Truth with Trevor Hendy. Yeah, it's a nice ring to it. <laughs> Truth with Trev. <laughs> Truth with Trev. And you know what's funny about it, boys, is that I, through my – teenage years i was definitely deceptive conniving getting what i want found you know sneaking this behind there and behind that and you put that into turn that into somebody who's hanging out with madonna and michael jackson and on baywatch and touring with the beach boys and there's girls and things everywhere you put the traits of a personality that wants to sort of you know sneak a bit of chocolate sneak a tim tam out of mum's fridge into like a celebrity status and it was highly dysfunctional, let me tell you. So it's half embarrassing if the episode's called Truth with Trev because it was sometimes it would have been deception with Trev through through the middle of it. How can I still look good while getting everything that I want? You know, how can I serve the dark while I look like I'm a, a soldier of the light, you know? Wow. And um, it was, it's been beautiful to face up to that and see and go, eat humble pie and eat some shit too and go, I'm really sorry I actually did that you know, to you or, you know, behind your back or whatever and mm. and to be humble, you know. I've got mm. I've got a tag I've got a tagline that could go underneath truth with Trev. It would be letting go and finding flow. Just to have a <laughs> just to have an ocean analogy in there. Find, <laughs> That's cool. Where's the water moving? Gotta or uh, truth with Trev, eating shit and in, in learning to enjoy the taste. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you so know, good. You gotta, you gotta eat. You gotta eat the shit. You know. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta chew on it and go. Oh, I did that. Oh yeah, I have been a wanker. Yeah. Yeah. And then something beautiful around the other side when you go. It's all right. I took responsibility myself. You don't have to punish me anymore. You know. Mm. It's good. Yeah. Thanks, Trevor. So good to chat to you. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop Thanks, it guys. there.
Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Jeff. We hope today's conversation has provided you with some food for thought and a new perspective on how to make these middle years your best years. Remembering that midlife is not about crisis, it's about growth, transformation, and embracing the strength that comes from experience. When the-